That score is just so iconic. Mm. Seeing that imagery of the Hong Kong streets and then the buses and the taxis and then the boat journey to the island. It's got so many great moments in there and it's so, it's so entertaining. Uh, and it's, what, 90 minutes long, 95 minutes long? So it, it doesn't outstay its welcome either. Seeing like this incredibly charismatic human being do what he did without wearing a cape and without hiding his face was just astounding to me. That, that film stuck with me to the point where I had to see everything he had done. Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Flixwater Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Gareth. Hello. Chopin. How you doing? And Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about the martial arts action classic, Enter the Dragon. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. Joining us today remotely, we have Chope and Gareth. If you'd like to say hello and tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Hi, I'm Gareth Evans. I'm the writer-director of uh, The Raid, a bunch of martial arts films in Indonesia, and then also recently Gangs of London, a TV show for Sky Atlantic. So how did that go, going to... Indonesia to the UK and bringing that violence over? <laughs> um, not not too bad, actually. It went all right. Um, we Basically, I think the biggest sort of challenge was obviously translating uh, the, the work the work day across because in Indonesia, we would just plug away hour by hour until we pretty much burnt out, which is not a great system of, of working, to be quite frank. And so when I got to UK, obviously, before I did Gangs London, I got to do Apostle first and that really taught me the value of a, of a UK working day when it comes to working in film and television. Like the, the discipline of having an 11 or 12 hour day and then mm. that's it. And then you stop at the end of that day and whatever you didn't get, you just didn't get. It, it, it forced me to kind of be a bit more disciplined then in terms of my approach to sort of like filmmaking and, and television work. Well, you brought over uh, Gangs of London was, everyone said Gangs of London is, is a hard, it's a tough watch. And I thought, no, nah, you, you're wrong. It can't be because it's, it's a national broadcast tv show albeit from sky but in the first episode it's 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 visceral from the start really isn't it how was that kind of getting that through the the censors or the people who uh approved or greenlit the show they, they were they seemed to be all right with it um it was never really we never had anything that was like a sort of bone of contention with them i mean okay. we, we would always discuss the the approach to the action and to the violence and we would always send them the previs because we shoot that way 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 in advance so they knew what they were getting from the game mm. so there were no no real surprises you know you get you get gifts you send them scripts you send them concept art you send them uh previs of the action scenes so there's no real major surprises so obviously there's an extra layer of impact and 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 and, and viscera when it's all kind of finally put together with sound and CGI and mm. all the bells and whistles. So, you know, so when, when, when we're on set shooting the pub fight, for example, and, you know, for us, it's the, the silliness of Chopin desperately trying to get a floppy rubber ashtray to fit inside the stuntman's mouth, you know, <laughs> and, um, when, that, when, that, when that goes through the process of VFX and then it, it looks like hard glass, then obviously it has a, a different kind of, you know, impact let's just put it that way but yeah but no they seem really behind it i saw a lot of the previous um, recently you posted on instagram for i think it's the is it episode five when the, yeah. when the danish kind of strike force are coming on the coming down in the house that looks amazing and i see i heard that's how you do you've done it for the raid and other action sequences i think that really sets the um it sets you up for for shooting it doesn't it massively so it's like um it's like having a blueprint of what you're going to do that day um but it means that it's not just for me to know that the action scene works, but it also means that 
every department can kind of you know reference that footage and then figure out what's needed of them each day so they can figure out like is there anything needed from wardrobes and needed from makeup is there anything needed in terms of camera rigging and and, you know and how we need to execute the scene and so and then also for for someone like shope then who's doing the pub fight and the land fight with us and then obviously elliot and cold in ep3 he was able to know exactly what was going to be required of him on a shot by shot basis so you know i never did a thing where it's like oh we're just going to shoot coverage and shoot the whole scene in one go 50 times and then you're going to burn out by the end of the day he knew that there'd be certain shots like certain close-ups or inserts where you know he'd be able to kind of get his energy back up and ready again because it's like oh i just need you to do this one quick insert of a hand being punched or or for this next shot it's going to be your stunt double because there's no way we're going to let you do it no matter how much you wanted to do it we would never <laughs> let you do it um and so it's kind of good in a way because i guess from uh from a performance side of things you could focus all your energy on that three five ten second shot as opposed to thinking oh my god how am i going to get through like 50 different beats across a two minute sequence then well, you, 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 sorry, we did introduce Shopee at the top of the show, but he hasn't really spoken. That's my fault, mainly. Shopee, can you introduce yourself and uh, tell us about the scenes that you, you did want to do, but the but Gareth wouldn't let you because of, I don't know, insurance, maybe? Absolutely. Um, hi, my name is Shopee Derisu, and I play Elliot in the new Gangs of London, as well as lots of other things in the past and in the future. Um, but I suppose scenes that I wanted, okay, here's one. They wouldn't let me climb over the wall at the end of the pub scene. All I wanted to do is just do some like superhero flop, Frosby flop over the um, <laughs> over the beer garden wall whilst chasing Besmere through the streets of London. But they were just like, "You're not allowed to do it." I was like, "I, I know how to jump." Flop. <laughs> <laughs> but if your ankle flopped, you wouldn't have been chasing him for another three weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's very true. I promised I was going to bend my knees and everything, but um, they wouldn't let me. I think I think the rules are if there's like a three foot drop or a four foot drop, then you're okay to do it. But that was like an eight foot drop, right? So we were like, no, <laughs> it's just too. All hard. those years of high jumping at high school were for nothing. <laughs> but I mean, I did high jump at high school, but we had a massive like three foot high mat to land on. So that was that's surely a different thing, isn't it? Or do you, <laughs> no, or do you have landed on a mat? Am I giving away too many secrets here? Maybe. Um, so what's it like, Shopee, for you um, recording those those fight scenes? What's your what's your background in in any kind of action or martial arts at all? I tell you what, I haven't done martial arts per se since I was maybe twelve. I did a bit of karate and judo when I was younger, so that wasn't really credentials for me to present to Gareth uh, in the audition. You know, I've got my green belt from when I was twelve. Can I please be in your action movie? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that would have run. But um, I, I've always done a lot of contact sports um, like rugby and American football, et cetera, from a young age. So I've always considered myself a very physical person, very physical actor. So I really relish the opportunity to be able to use my body in a different form of storytelling. You know, I think um, using your body physically as an actor is really important in terms of creating the character. But using your body physically to tell the story of the fights, you know? And that's one of the things I really loved about Gareth's fights and the ones that he designs is that there really is a story to it. It's not just mindless violence. And mm. I think a lot of the criticisms that we received to Gans of London about it being gratuitous didn't really hold for me because there was nothing that we did in the series that wasn't, that didn't have purpose, you know? There was no violence that we showed that was like sadistic or anything that was truly gruesome we didn't either show or didn't linger on so the stories of the fights were really important either for telling a story for the character or for what was going on in the world that we were trying to create well we're here today to talk about one of the most famous uh, martial arts films and that is bruce lee's enter the dragon Gareth, you chose Enter the Dragon. Can you tell us, first of all, why you chose it and give us a synopsis in one minute or less? Um, I chose this one because it was the first martial arts film I'd ever seen, um, which feels like a bit of a cliche, but it, it was. I saw it, or at least I remember seeing fragments of it at a friend's house when I was really young. And it left such a massive impact on me because I was never really into the sort of comic book world. I was never into superheroes. So, you know, we saw things like Superman and we saw things like Batman, but 
they didn't kind of resonate with me because they didn't feel real. Um, but when I saw End of the Dragon and I saw Bruce Lee, this guy was real. And he was like a real, you know, flesh and blood superhero to me. And and, and to be honest, like, I'd, never, I, I'd never really probably experienced what martial arts was before then. Mm. So seeing like this incredibly charismatic human being do what he did without wearing a cape and without hiding his face was just astounding to me. And um, and so that that film stuck with me to the point where I had to see everything he had done, uh, you know, not not knowing, obviously, as a child, you know, the sad tragedy of what befell him, if that makes sense. So um, when I was asked to kind of look through films and I saw End of the Dragon, it was kind of like the most immediate choice for me because, you know, it's, it's always a good reason to go back and revisit a film like this. Weirdly, myself and Jude Poyer, who was the stunt coordinator on um, Gangs of London and on a post before this, we've actually seen Enter the Dragon twice in the cinema in the last year because it played in the Prince Charles Cinema in London. And so while we were working in London, I took advantage of the fact that that cinema was there because it's such a beautiful venue anyway and they show such great films. So um, we got to see it once where it was digital and then once when it was 35 mil print. So th- those were like both sort of special, special moments to be able to see a what film was, like what, was it, what was it like in the Prince Charles? Because Helen and I talk about the Prince Charles more than we talk about Netflix on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love the cinema. I think it's amazing. And, you know, in these times, it helps if people, you know, just to do the whole soapboxing, but if people are wanting to support their cinemas, I mean, the membership's not that bad. It's pretty good value for money, you know, and I think it's a good thing that we keep supporting cinemas, especially a cinema like that. And I used to go there quite often. We used to go quite a lot to see different retro screenings. So, you know, we saw, I remember I took Xavier to go see a triple bill. Xavier directed episodes six, seven, and eight. Um, and we, we started with Robocop, moved on to True Romance, and then went on to Natural Born Killers, oh. which was a very heavy day at the cinema, to be quite <laughs> frank. You know what I mean? That's a lot of energy in six hours. So, <laughs> yeah. But um, going back to Enter the Dragon, it holds a really special place in my heart. So that's that's why I picked it. And, and, what, and what's the synopsis in a, in a minute or less? The synopsis, which I am going to pilfer wholeheartedly from my MDV because it's the <laughs> easiest way I could do it. So I'll try to read this as naturally as I can. <clears throat> a martial arts expert is recruited to infiltrate a drug operation under the guise of taking part in an invitational competition sponsored by the one-handed crime boss, Han. This was Bruce Lee's <laughs> most popular film in the West. There you go. <laughs> Uh, Helen, Chopin, have you how have you guys seen Enter the Dragon before? Um, what what were your thoughts on watching it before this time? If you haven't, if you have seen it, I have definitely seen this film before, but it's it was so long ago that I wasn't sure if I had, and I watched it again recently for the purposes of this um, podcast, so as not to have nothing to say. Um, and it was just full of this, like, oh, I remember this part. Oh, I'm really excited for this part. You know, um, it's a real. I remember not physically. But I definitely remember sharing the emotions of watching this for the first time, sitting next to my dad and being like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them childish feelings came back as I watched it again now. So, yeah, thanks for picking this one, Gareth. It's a real treat. <laughs> <laughs> Helen. So I guess I probably had the the most kind of alien experience compared to everyone here. So I had seen this before, but I think um i'd probably watched it when when i was at university studying films it kind of was one of those ones that um you needed to see so that's kind of like my memory i don't really have any memory of seeing it particularly young or any kind of martial arts introduction so um watching it recently for me probably didn't quite have the um nostalgia in it but um bruce lee i mean you've touched on it very briefly um you know potentially at his peak here and just his presence on screen and how he handles himself and just everything about it is very very magnetic performance and you when you're watching it you're just kind of thinking like what else could have happened with him Mm. and what other performance we could have get that's interesting to say because it's like because I've always felt like Bruce was probably about to reach, like, he was in his peak when, obviously, tragedy fell. Um, But there was so much more he could have given the film industry. And he was starting to usher in the new generation of of action stars. Like, you know, in Enter the Dragon, you've got 
Jackie Chan is in there in a very brief, small, tiny role. So is Samuel Hung. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Samuel Hung you know, speaks with a lot of respect of Bruce in terms of like ushering him in. And I've always felt like Samuel is probably one of the best choreographers out there in, in the Hong Kong film scene. And so to imagine the possibility of at one point you could have had a version of events where Samuel would have choreographed Bruce in a film together in the 80s, oh, it would have just been like incredible, you know, absolutely mind-blowing. So, yeah, the what could have beens are, are pretty strong in that one. I think that is all over this film, actually, because I, I watched it. Um, my parents used to record everything on VHS. I don't know, don't know why. So at one point they'll be like, Tootsie next to Enter the Dragon, next to you know um, Chitty, Chitty Bang Bang. So when we were kind of left to our own devices, that's a great triple bill, by the way. Sorry, <laughs> that's a Prince Charles worthy triple bill there. Um, and when I'd be when my, me and my brothers would be at home, we just literally go. We didn't know what the films were about. We just put them in there, mm. and yeah, from the like opening shot, you're like, oh shit, this is this is something different, and it's just gutting because all those other films, you see how good he is, but it's just. I can't watch any of his other films because they're just not a complete film. They're just like segments of him being awesome. Ooh, I, I disagree. I... <laughs> go on, go on, go on. So I would say, I would say this because like, you know, I'm obviously a huge fan of his work and like, I think like, you know, going back in his catalogue, I think Fist of Fury is probably his, his most complete film. Yeah. Fist of Fury is probably the cleanest of all of the stuff he did. It's you know, it's a very simple tale of revenge and about mystery and intrigue about the fact that, you know, his master has died and he's coming back grieving the death of his master, but feeling something's not right. So there's something more, I think there's some, and also there's the interest between, you know, the history of Japan and China in Fist of Fury. I think there's some interesting stuff there, um, culturally as well as the the sort of the action stuff. And also he shows more tenderness in, in him in, in Fist of Fury with some of the sort of romance subplots. I I I, I won't I won't go out the bat for Way of the Dragon as much as I love some of the fight sequences in Way of the Dragon. Um, the opening scene when he orders 10 soups by accident is not the highest point of comedy in film history. But um, but but yeah, no, I think like Fist of Fury is Fist of Fury, I think, is very, very much high up there. Um, obviously, I think Ed the Dragon feels more polished. It's that kind of, you know, obviously it's it's. It's a version of a James Bond film, but without James Bond, and it's a, it's a version mm-hmm. of that kind of style of filmmaking, but with no guns. And let's do away with guns. And they do it pretty pretty quickly, you know what I mean? Even I love the fact that Bruce even kind of acknowledges it because like, why don't you just go in there with a forty five and bang, settle yeah. it? And then it's like, no, we can't have guns. Okay, and even Bruce shrugs. Like that's the greatest <laughs> part of it. Like he shrugs at the idea of okay, I got to go in there and just use my hands and my feet, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I think the filmmaking quality is, is, is very high. I do rate Robert Klaus as a director in, in, in this film. Um, I think some of the sort of camera angles and some of the sort of set pieces and the scenes are really well done. I think the flashback with the sister mm. is, is, is inspired in moments. There's like the, there's lots of weird POVs, like from the, there's the shot of the, the, the piece of glass that she's holding. The rack focuses yep. from O'Hara to the glass. It so feels like Italian horror almost in a way, that giallo sort of feel. So I think there's lots of cool stuff in it, the dragon as well. But we can keep talking about that. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. But, but I mean, the we've had recently, and it was, was it James Dyer from Empire that picked um, uh, John Wick Chapter 2? And that ends at, ends in a mirror fight, in, or the fight in the mirror room. And of course, that's Hamas directly. Well, I think... Yeah. I haven't asked uh, Chad to Stahelski, maybe you guys I think it have had them, quite but... a big influence on it. <laughs> I would have thought so. Yeah, I would have thought so. But um, for John Wick Chapter 2, they just kind of put the camera anywhere and they just edit it out afterwards. Oh, and yeah. This time, right. this time I was watching that mirror scene. I was just trying to see, because they would have had to place the camera just so. Mm-hmm. And it would have been set up just so. I mean, what, what? I think they shot a lot of two-way mirrors in that, didn't they? Like, they, like you would in a oh, okay. police interrogation room and stuff like that. I think there was a couple of shots that were done like that. Because they had to hide them somewhere. It was um, it's an incredible sequence. Ballsy is anything to achieve to do. And obviously, in a weird way, you could kind of see why they did a scene like that in that room. Because there's not an awful lot of choreography within mm-hmm. that space. It seems very more stalk and slash, stalk and slash. So mm-hmm. you can get away with it being quite disorienting. Whereas when it comes to the actual action... It, it's more traditional then and they keep that sort of outside of the mirror room more in the big field space or in the in his in his room of gloves <laughs> yeah the four the four carving knives yeah um Chope, do you think what, what what do you guys reckon start with you Chope, about um 
because you seem to, I guess, with Enter Dragon, there's one of one of the films where they brought a Western actor, a Western martial artist, to fight in a in a in a kind of Eastern film. I guess to try and bring bring a bigger audience. But I always kind of think, oh, they're not as good. Like John Saxon, <laughs> yeah, is, is, seems like a nice guy, but it's just even with Jim Kelly, who I've been told wasn't a martial artist before, he's just an actor. As he tall, wasn't. I thought he was. Like myself, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you can just see that there isn't the same fluidity to their movements, and like I think Jim does a really great uh, job of disguising it. I mean, it's even referenced in the film that your style is unorthodox, and he's like, I don't really care about stars; <laughs> just want to win, you know. Um, and he jazzes it up, and you, you can hear it in his soundtrack, like the um, the funk that he's bringing to his fights. But, he gets a bit of a black exploitation soundtrack, doesn't he, Jim? I noticed yeah, he does. He does. But I, I, I sort of celebrate that actually, bringing Ooh, that yeah. culture into sharing that culture with Eastern cinema. Um, but yeah, there's just not the same fluidity or beauty in the movements that um, Western actors have especially it's almost highlighted when they're in the Eastern setting because everything around them is beautiful and they just come out a bit sort of stunted and frumpy in comparison. And it's not obviously to say that Western actors can't fight in that way. It's just that these, I mean, I'm a martial artist, former, I guess, um, but I started Taekwondo at 18 Mm. um, and then moved on to Capoeira at like 24. So that's a whole difference from starting, you know, playing the guitar. You are sorry? Since you could yeah. walk, exactly. Yeah. I remember having a conversation about American football because I used to play that. And the conversation was like, can a Brit go over to America and play? And they were like, yeah, maybe. But you have to remember that they've been throwing American football since they could walk in the same way that we've been playing football since we could walk or rugby since we could walk, whatever the culture is. So if you're, it's just about those fine motor skills and learning to move your body in that way from such an early age. Yeah, you can definitely learn it later on, but to to pretend that you're going to have the same control of it as somebody who has been practicing it twice as long as you have is almost an insult to those people who are practicing it, which is where the whole iron fist debate came in uh, on Netflix. Do you remember? No, 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 no idea what you're on about. Yeah, moving on swiftly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, for me, I'm not a um, martial arts specialist at all. But I, when I watch scenes with martial arts in it, um, I mean, in my head, it's it's kind of like dancing to me. And mm. especially when you're sort of making films, not that I've ever made any films, but that each person is obviously dancing their part. And I guess with anything, some people are born dancers or can pick up the rhythm and be able to dance and some people no matter how hard they try just Mm. don't have that kind of dancing vibe about them i think that's definitely true of me anyway it's a sure thing (laughs) both for martial arts and dancing so uh, yeah Um, but i think i think like going back to i think about western martial artists because i like it's like i think in the dragons probably not the best example of it but obviously you know since then we've had people like Cynthia Rothrock, for example, who's an incredible martial artist, but also an incredible screen fighter. And those two things don't usually go hand in hand, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 you know, Cynthia Rothrock carved a huge career for herself, you know, out in Hong Kong, doing lots of films out there, but, you know, and she proved herself and then came back to the US, ironically working with Robert Klaus on um, China O'Brien. Uh, and so, you know, they're, they're, and you, you look at like, you know, Van Damme, for instance, and you look at Michael Jai White and you look at Scott Adkins <laughs> and these guys can move exactly the way that, you know, the, 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 the sort of, you know, the, you know the, the Hong Kong Chinese counterparts would move as well. Um, it's just that traditionally in the West, when it comes to like martial arts as a genre, it's got a weird label associated with it in American cinema where it's like, oh, if you're making an out and out martial arts film, then it's not allowed to be classified as like you know, theatrical. But then you look at the action films that are being made there, they're kind of being made as sort of what used to be called direct to DVD, but now probably going to be considered the streaming films. Um, and you look at like the work of guys like Isaac Florentine, and you look at like Jesse Johnson, and you look at um, John Hyams, who did the, one of the Universal Soldier films. The action films, the action scenes in those films are incredible. Like, you know, they're like they're putting Hollywood to shame in terms of like mm. the big budget, you know, mega blockbuster stuff. Um, and the rhythms are there and all the sort of dynamic stuff is there. It's just that we don't get to see it as front and center. But if you really, really dig for it, 
it's it's mm. it's all there there to be found and, and loved i i can't I, this is one of my favorite films ever so when when he suggested it i was like yeah fuck yeah that's that's just absolutely that's the, i haven't seen it for i haven't seen it for like 10 years at, at least i'm sure did you, um, there was did like a dvd watch? special that came out and i that's when i last saw it, it was one probably one of the last dvds i bought before uh, i don't know things went streaming but did yeah. you all spot the guy who smiles in the background no there's a scene there's a scene right towards the end when Han is like, you know, for some reason, Han decides to literally name every person that he wants yeah. to attack Bruce in order instead of just like fucking pile on him. It's like, yeah. he's like, you, 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 you go first. All right. <laughs> well, the first round of people that comes up, there's a bit where Bruce kicks this one guy almost like five times in a row. And he's like, bah, 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 bam. And as the guy mm. hits the deck, there's a, 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 a fighter in the background who's in frame. And he just fucking bursts out laughing in the middle of the shot, and it's in there. It's 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 in the cut. It's amazing. It's 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 real special little sort of uh, you know what you call it Easter egg to find within the film. I'll definitely look out for that in the next in the next watch, which I hope will be less will be sooner than ten years. Um, so, how many times, Shop, have you seen? Have you seen? And well, you've said you just maybe seen it once as a as a kid, but. How I have it memory, guys. It wasn't it wasn't alien to me when I watched it this time, but I couldn't tell you how many times it was because it was so long ago. Where's it kind of rates in the pantheon of, of martial arts films and action films generally um, through to the modern age? If you want to include the raid, uh, but also things like on the back and <laughs> I'm never going to include my own stuff. No chance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If Gangs of me, London. I don't know. It was so because it really brought Eastern martial arts films to the fore in the West. And there may have been some other front runners as well, but it's hard. It's like having the Kobe versus Jordan conversation, you know, like it's, it's not fair. And it's almost like to, to rate it against films that are coming out now, those films wouldn't exist if Enter the Dragon wasn't there. So I, I, I don't want to say that it's, uh, cinematically it's excellent, but it might, the things may have developed since then. But uh, it's just so important to to hold on to it, you know, and remember it and watch it and celebrate it. Uh, I don't know if I could say where it ranks on a list, for example, but I know that that list wouldn't exist if we didn't have Enter the Dragon. That's a really good answer. It is, isn't it? <laughs> Media trained. I, I, think, I think I was, what I would say to that is it's almost, it's, it's quite rare for something, because the film is so focused on action mm-hmm. in that respect. It's rare then to have some to have a film that contains action that can stand the test of time, because it's really hard. Because you know, it's like storytelling has been around for centuries. You know what I mean? It's it's not you know, regardless of where we are in terms of the medium and the format. Um, you know, it's been since the dawn of time, and so when it comes, but when it comes to something that's very specific about action and capturing it on film. If you look at the, the stuff that was done, you know, at the birth of cinema, and you you tra- track it through in terms of like the way, you know, I'm talking specifically about like you know Chinese martial arts, uh, how they appeared on film, and you look at the old sort of like the old Wong Fei Hung films with Quan Ta King, the the martial arts in those they're not they're not going to be as you know as, as developed and as evolved as a process as what we have now. You know, all of those things will evolve over time. And, you know, we find new ways to capture them. We find new ways to move the camera around, mm. you know, and we find and, and choreographers will have more time to shoot the action or less time, depending on the budget. So it's it's a constantly evolving process. So it's a bit hard to kind of compare and contrast like the action in Enter the Dragon to the action you'd see in a Jackie Chan film from like the, the mid eighties when he was in his golden peak of, of that of that design. Like I can't I can't sit and genuinely say, Oh, I love the action in Enter the Dragon. It's just as good as the final scene in Police Story. No. Yeah. You know, because Police <laughs> Story is seminal in terms of that. But um but yeah, but Bruce did something incredible with the films that he made. He, you know, he brought it to the forefront and and brought it to a global audience. And I really, it's like this. I think I think for some of the like, there's certain Jackie Chan films in his in his catalog, where it's like I'll watch them and skip to the fight scenes. But when it comes right. to Enter the Dragon, I'm happy to sit there and watch the whole damn film from beginning mm-hmm. to end. Obviously, there are certain scenes that 
you know, don't quite play as as well as they might have back in the seventies. There's a lot of like, you know, um, let's say politically incorrect moments within the, within the film. But when that film starts and you hear that score from, um, I'm going to say his name wrong, Lalo Schifrin, that score is just so iconic. Mm. Seeing that imagery of the Hong Kong streets and then the buses and the taxis and then the boat journey to the island. It's got so many great moments in there, and it's so it's so entertaining. Uh, and it's what ninety minutes long, ninety five minutes long, so it, mm-hmm. it doesn't outstay its welcome either. That's so, one thing I like about it a lot is that it's almost like uh, it's almost like a computer game concept for a film. You go there to the island and yeah. get you know find all the drugs and kill the baddies on the way, th- on the way through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get the baddie. And that's um, and you know that's another thing I love about the raid. It's just a simple concept. You get to the floor. And on the way, you know, get the ba- get the bad guy who's on the on the top floor, basically. And I think that's something that we don't see a lot in in films and concepts. And Gangs of London as well. The concept isn't overwrought. It doesn't. It's not that complex. You just sit there and just let, let it kind of wash over you. And I really enjoyed it for that um, that layer. It's, it's not a the wire where you have to be like fully focused. You know, but with Gangs of London, you are just like. You, you had your eyes are open from like 20 minutes in when when Chopin is scraping the guy's head over a wall and you see the blood trail left behind there. That was one of the first things for me that was like, that's a bit gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think- well, got, that kind of storytelling, I think, is, is something we don't get enough of these days. I think sometimes it tries to make it too complex and have a three hour long story uh, film, which Helen and I've discussed, you know, we're not often that big fans of stories that could be shrunk down into something that's half that package. I think that's probably right. I think we we are also, I think, you know, Enter Dragons had a huge sort of like influence on, on lots of different films. And weirdly, I don't think I've ever, ever spoken about this, but um, it influenced me when I was writing Apostle, weirdly, um, which doesn't seem like the most obvious sort of comparison. But there's a sequence in Apostle where um, Dan Stevens' character sneaks out at night um, mm-hmm. to go and investigate the community. Mm-hmm. and you get spotted and get seen and then the next day you have the lineup in the church with michael sheen walking around oh. and saying like these are the rules of the place you know no oh, one's supposed to sneak yes. around da, 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 da. and they go through and you know that and make an example of someone and that that was me riffing on enter the dragon you know i would sure. never have told them that when we were filming it <laughs> <laughs> Be like, you know, can you play it a bit more like han um but, you know. <laughs> Can you try that with one less hand? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Good. Uh, one, of, one of the things I loved about this as well, uh, sorry for me to lord over this film, but um, is, this, is the sound, is the, um, I'm not sure if it's Foley, but the sound effects, the kind of action. Um, brilliant. Um, I don't know how many of those are Bruce Lee, how many of those added in ADR or post, but each Well, it was time all ADR. Kicks, yeah. Is it all it's ADR? The, the entire thing is ADR. A lot of times in Hong Kong, that's what they used to do, right? They used to just they used to just roll and and then record the audio separate later on. So I think I think there's a couple of films, maybe I don't think there's a couple of films of Jackie's where it wasn't his voice for a while. I mm. think I think I think I might be completely even wrong in the now. Chinese version. Yeah, in fair like in fairness, I think this and there's only only one other Bruce Lee film that he's speaking in English, which is his voice. Yeah, that's true. But his I mean his voice is great, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. It's going back to what you, Helen and Gareth said about him being such an enigmatic screen presence. And that's, it's just such a, it's so sad every time that that film ends. I'm like, oh, fuck. There could have been, there could have been so much more of that. You know, one of the things I've always loved about Bruce Wayne, and it, it's kind of like, um, it's a trait throughout all of his films. It happens in The Big Boss, it happens in Fist of Fury, it happens in Way of the Dragon, less so in Way of the Dragon, but it definitely happens in Enter the Dragon, is that he plays characters that are kind of driven by some kind of like revenge motif. And that was, I mean, revenge was obviously the sort of, that was the sort of the, 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 the tested plot line of every martial arts film ever made. But um, whenever he would get his revenge, whenever he would have that, that moment of catharsis, it was always one where he kind of disappeared into his anger. He disappeared into his fury and you'd always see it etched into his face. So again, the big boss. It's the it's 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 when he he kills the sort of the foreman's son, um, and he realizes he finally strikes the punch, and it feels like it hurts him just as much as it hurts the other person. Um, that happens a lot of times in Fist of Fury, but in Enter the Dragon, it's that moment when he finally kills O'Hara in competition, and he steps down on him, 
that face mm. is filled with anguish. That face is filled with like weird, twisted emotions, and like it, it's not, it's not the sort of like there's a tradition now, like in in some sort of '90s martial artists where there's a certain amount of narcissism that goes on, and then you'll see certain shots where it was like, oh. You got to have your close-up sort of strike the pose hero shot now, or you know your slow mo moment where you get to look badass and cool. But it's all fake, and it's all it's all just aesthetics. Mm. But Bruce was willing to show that he was sort of damaged within, and that there was a that he let the demon kind of like take over him for that moment. And so when he does that thing, he jumps down and boom, cracks on him. Yeah. That close-up of his face is just like it's so much stuff going on in in his eyes, and I think that's why he was so iconic and and separate himself from from the herd of other sort of martial arts that was starting to peak at the explosion of that of that genre is that he just he just had that presence he had that charisma to him but he had lots of humor in him too like the scene with the snake when he when he takes the snake and he slips it into the room and those two guys throw the the the, the yeah they could throw the, the chair through the window and they they barrel out of there and he's just like sat there like oh god here we go you know what i mean just like you what's the big deal but there's this this yeah it's such a shame there's so much more that he that you he that he could have given us i feel like i should offer a, a sort of a, a counter to it that i i feel that it does suffer from its age and I'm, I'm glad that you brought it up before i mentioned it gareth that it is james bond but without the guns and with kung fu instead and i kind of feel that the film itself is a bit crap and it is just Bruce Lee's performance that holds it up and the mirror scene is amazing um but I think for me it, as a film watching it now maybe because me personally the martial arts that I've seen are, are more recent recent films and that's just more what I'm into the performance is much better than kind of the sum of its parts for Enter the Dragon I'm sympathetic to what Helen said because I am watching the choreography of it and knowing that it's seminal and knowing that it's a classic but still having like Jude Poyer and Chris Webb's voice in my head being like is that a hit was that a hit you know seeing it for the first time in the cinema when it first came out must have been incredible but mm. to put it up against this is what we're saying about like how um, the the art of cinema and the story of fights and how fights on screen have developed over time. Yeah, you can't. I mean, we mentioned John Wick earlier, and I'm not saying that John Wick uh, is a bastion to be upheld, but you can't watch a fight in John Wick or a fight in the Raid or a fight in Gangs of London. And then watch Enter the Dragon and be like, oh, it's like, the, 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 like Gareth says yourself, you can't say, can't hold them against each other. So we have been blessed with an advancement, a development in in fights on, on screen. And therefore it is difficult to say that, oh yeah, it was excellent. But I think uh, they hold their own places in time, you know? Mm. I think for me, it's like, it's like I love the Magnificent Seven. I think the Magnificent Seven is like a wonderful, the original. Uh, I think it's an incredible <laughs> film. Like I love, the, I love that film. But when I look at it as a, as a western, in terms of like you know, the the action contained within a western, the difference, the disparity of of quality of the action between something like the Magnificent Seven and then the Wild Bunch is just like worlds apart. Mm-hmm. but i love both films for different reasons you know what i mean mm-hmm. I, it's like you know, the, the wild bunch is that next level of of action cinema i mean for me to be to be perfectly honest with me the wild bunch and i've spoken about this film like endlessly is just one of those films where it still somehow holds up the way he approaches the action in that film the editing style the the the, the shots the rhythms and the energy of it it's insane that that film still holds up but it does um, and, and, you know, for me, like when I talk about like pure, pure, just, just like an action sequence, the ending of the wild bunch is as good as anything in hard boiled, which I think is probably the pinnacle of action cinema and yeah. will never, ever get bettered and never get beaten. <laughs> so for me, like those two films are like up there, but they're like 30 years apart. Right. Yeah. Now I'm realizing I'm just arguing against myself of what I was, what I was talking about, but it's, um, 
it's that thing of like when it comes to the the presentation of martial arts you look back at anything in that 70s period there's there's lots of stiff movements in there it's it's finding its form and it it it's what i find interesting is that you know the cowboy movies had been going on for like decades and decades before so they were they were finessing it throughout throughout the, the history of cinema martial arts cinema in terms of it becoming popularized and, and really like you know in, into extreme when like Shaw Brothers came along and Golden Harvest came along and those films were developing. It was almost kind of like the mid seventies. Then after Bruce's Bruce's legacy had kind of like kicked in, that it really just took off then, and it went on such a such a stratospheric sort of rise and, and evolution that when you get to that tail end of the seventies and then the early eighties, then you, yeah, it's just it's it's they are worlds 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 apart then between you know what what you know. What was happening in in the early seventies then? My strongest sort of like criticism of it, weirdly, is mostly its its outdated approach in terms of like where we are now as a world compared to where they were back then when they were making that film, and that that shares a lot in common with again the James Bondisms of it. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, its treatment of characters <clears throat> is not really strong. It's not a strong point. Let's put it that way. But um, but yeah, that's fair enough. Um, should we head to the scores, guys? I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. So uh, welcome to the Flix Watcher scores. We've got our own special scores. All of the points are out of five. Uh, you may use decimal places if you wish. Um, and we we will start with you, Gareth, because you chose the film um, <laughs> with the with the recommendability. So how much would you recommend this out of five, please? Um, it's too important a piece of cinema for the history <laughs> of martial arts for it to represent Bruce Lee. So I'm going five. I'm just going full on five. Fair enough. Um, Shobbe, what's your score? I will go for a 4.73. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> Any reason behind that? Uh, yeah, just because, like Gareth said, it's so important. And I think in terms of appreciating the development of cinema, development of storytelling, and also just to see Bruce Lee do his thing and, like, it's so important that people watch it. Um, mm. I, I suppose like it loses 2.7, uh, 0.27 marks for me just because of my inability to take the Foley seriously. When someone gets kicked and it oh. sounds like a slap. <laughs> I know that's one of the things Gareth <laughs> loves, but um, that that's the only thing. That's my only criticism of it. I don't know how much you guys were gamers in the day, but there's a, there's a game on the Amiga called in, uh, IK Plus, International Karate Plus. Um, and they, I'm sure they just ripped off the, the sound and the Foley and the, and the noises from, from Enter the Dragon from Bruce Lee. <laughs> and I used to absolutely love it. It's like, I don't know if you ever played that game at all. But there was, um, the, I might be sure in my age, but there was a game on the ZX Spectrum with Bruce Lee, which was amazing. Oh, was it? 50 levels, and they would just send you right back to level one to do it all over again. You get chased <laughs> by a, a sumo that looked like an astronaut and um, <laughs> and a ninja that just carried a stick. Um, but it was amazing. It was like the best game ever back then. Uh, Helen, recommendability score. Yeah, so I've, I've kind of already given my kind of piece on this one, and I was kind of thinking if I was someone sort of getting into films for the first time and I'd sort of grown up on on John Wick or The Raid and then came to this, I wonder how my brain might react to it and whether it would have the same kind of feelings that you guys have sort of had from having grown up with it and be your first kind of introduction to martial arts. So I'm looking at it a little bit more objectively, but 
I think the problem for me is I don't like James Bond anyway, and it just really did give off kind of that kind of filmmaking style, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, it is massively important for cinema generally, not just for what Bruce Lee did um, to bring martial arts to the West. So I'm going to give it a solid four. I'm going to give it a 4.98. Um, that is because I couldn't recommend it to my... Although my parents back in the day would watch it, but I think nowadays they kind of would not like the violence in it. Um, so those are for 0.1 for my parents, but for everyone else, I'd say, yeah, you need to watch Enter the Dragon because it's it's amazing. And it does it does set the store out. And we've talked about um, action and martial arts films then versus now, but I think there's still... You can say that about a lot of things. Um, Shelby talked about Michael, jo- uh, Michael Jordan versus... Kobe Bryant, you don't get one with, you don't get Kobe without Michael. And you still look at Michael Jordan now and you still like, you still look at shots of him now and you're like, well, that was amazing. That was legitimately great. Um, You know, it happens with music, happens with filmmaking, there's all these kind of things. There's always someone's built up the foundation from which other people can jump off. And if you don't recognize that kind of, that's rock solid foundation, then you you can't have the Ong Backs or the Raids or the John Wick chapter threes or, um, you know, the hero for example, which have kind of broken through Crouching Tiger. Um, if it wasn't done well in this level, then it, those would, those other films wouldn't have happened in the same way. Um, so yeah, 4.98. Uh, repeat viewing score, Gareth. Repeat view, I, I'm, I'm the worst person to ask for this because of the amount <laughs> of times I've seen it. Um, well, that's, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 4.5. Uh, Chopin? I'm going to go lower. I'm going to say that it's a film that everyone should see and I would like to see it again at least once a decade, but probably more often than that. <laughs> I'm going to correct you on that. You need to see it later this year because the Criterion are going to put out a 4K remaster of it. Oof. I mean, like, I'll see it twice this year then. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm going to go for a 3.3 just because it should be returned to but not with any sort of regularity what are your most re- repeat viewed films guys lion king lion king the original yeah nice for sure <laughs> the, the, re- the remake doesn't exist in my world it's, it is deleted <laughs> it's cancelled plane strains um, and automobiles oh it's a masterpiece it's brilliant um what else police story i'd rewatch a lot um yeah and then um there's a japanese film called kikujiro by kitano takeshi kitano which is mm. just a beautiful uh feel-good movie I, it's a weird thing because I, I i watch a lot of comedy sitcoms mainly in any of my downtime because I make such miserable things. <laughs> so I, my downtime is watching comedy shows. So it's like I'm I'm going through... I mean, I, I peep show all nine seasons of that. I've been through probably like nice. seven times. Um, and I'm introducing my daughter to Brooklyn Nine-Nine at the moment. So I'm watching that for the fifth time. And Helen's a big fan. I love that show so much. I've not seen season six or season seven yet. Because we've restarted. So we're on season five right now. I joined a bit late, so I haven't quite got to the new ones yet. What season are you on at the moment? I don't know. Season five, Netflix. four, the first, maybe. When you get to season five, the first two episodes have one of my favourite side characters, <laughs> Caleb the Cannibal, is the best. It's so good. You're gonna love it. I tell you what, I used to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy every Christmas with my family. Why? Because it's Why? a Christmas. <laughs> it's a Christmas trilogy film. Absolutely. Do you not see the, the Easter egg Santa that pops up in the back of uh, Helm's Deep? That's a complete joke. Don't take that seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, um, I don't know. It's just the, that was the the epic journey tale that I grew up on. So that would be high on my repeat watching. Mm, if we're talking trilogies, uh, we just did um, Back to the Future recently mm-hmm, for like yeah. the 10 millionth time ever. That one, yeah. The first film in that is absolute frame perfection as matt flannery would definitely agree to <laughs> it, i think i think back to future one is my perhaps my most rewatched film ever um it's still tense it, yeah 
It's probably one of your Helen. Helen was working at the Secret Cinema, uh, Back to the Future. So you, you've <gasps> probably seen it most out of. I've seen it a lot. I saw it a lot over a few months period. Amazing, <laughs> like <laughs> six nights a week for two months. <laughs> um, yeah, repeat viewing score for Enter the Dragon, Helen. Um, so um, I like that it's like an hour and a half. It's you know, <laughs> it's not like a two-hour epic. Um, I give it a two point five. I think. I would be unlikely to want to kind of sit and watch it in kind of a home environment and that I'd probably get a lot more enjoyment watching it at somewhere like the Prince Charles or at least um, with a group of people or some someone else who was really into it to kind of get that kind of enthusiasm. I can see that. There's, there's definitely, when it comes to those types of films, the communal aspect is massive. Mm because i i grew up obviously watching these films on like vhs and stuff like that i never really got to see them on like in, in the cinema and when i finally did start to get to see these films in cinema it's like a whole new way of watching them it's, it's an amazing so experience what, what what was the audience like uh when you saw enter the dragon at prince charles because the prince charles they if they like a film they get behind it and they give you different levels and layers of of uh appreciation for a film sometimes um, so, so what was it like for you watching it? I mean, I, th- I think it was a big love fest. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think many people were going to go on a really hot summer Sunday afternoon to watch End of the Dragon <laughs> if they hadn't already seen it before. So I think it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a big old love fest in that in in the screening. You know, I mean, everyone kind of awkwardly laughing at the uncomfortable stuff, and then you know, waiting for those scenes to be over so we could get back to sort of enjoying the 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 visceral action of of Bruce using nunchucks, which is another thing as well. The, the mm. nunchucks were cut from the original yeah. VHS releases all the way up until late nineties, I think, somewhere. I think that was that DVD release. The DVD the first release time to put nunchucks right. back in. Yeah, yeah, Hong Kong Legends. Yeah, um, because they thought people could get two pieces of stick and screw a chain in them and make their own nunchucks. I think they were an illegal weapon in the UK at the time. It was the same with like the Psy, I think, as well. That's why the the, the Ninja Turtles came out. That uh, I think there was an issue about the fact that Michelangelo used nunchuckles. I'm almost certain that was the case. Uh, Because over here, it was Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, not Ninja as well. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I'm going to give this a 4.1 and it's, it's one of those films which I wish I watched more often than I have done, I guess maybe over the past 10 years, but it was growing up. It was something that member brothers would watch uh, like maybe twice a summer um, and then go out fighting each other um, as well as, you know, watching Karate Kid and Rocky, you'd finish that and start punching each other. But it's just one of those films which, which is just ingrained in my, in my childhood. And I do keep, I hope I watch it more than once a decade, maybe once every, every three or four years, I'd say. Um, but definitely want to go to Prince Charles and watch it when when things open up again. Yeah, Gareth, small screen score. You're the only one that's seen it on a big screen. Um, how would you rate it for watching it on a small screen? It's how I first saw it. I've seen it in so many different sizes and formats and pan and scan and widescreen and everything. So for me, yeah, it's it's it, yeah. screens are big now and <laughs> quality's amazing. Everything's HD or 4K anyway, and it's widescreen. It's scope. It's it's as it was meant to be seen. So I don't think you lose that much anymore in terms of the, And obviously the, the mix, I think, would have been mono at the time or stereo at the time, not 5.1. So it works perfectly at home as well as it would have on a big screen. But just, you know, as long as you can fill your home when it's safe to do so. With a lot of people then, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, yeah, it's, it's a 4.5 again. I'm not going to go too much lower on, the, on this course. Shall <laughs> uh, Chopin? Um... I know, especially DOPs hate people watching their films on smaller screens, regardless of its quality, because there is, especially with Lord of the Rings or something, you there's a cinematicness of it, especially when you've got really massive uh, wide shots of like landscapes, etc. And I don't think there are many of those in this film. Um, I used to watch things on my iPhone or whatever I could, basically just to get the story, you know, sometimes. I'm so sorry, Gareth, and to all filmmakers out there. Um, but I was a lot more interested in the story and the performances rather than the epic cinema-ness of it. And I don't know if the story of this film is so compelling that I would encourage people just just watch the story, you know? Uh so 
yes, TV screens are bigger now. I wouldn't necessarily categorize them as small screens. When you say small screens, I'm thinking like, do you watch it on your laptop or your iPad or your iPhone? And well, I'm saying we're saying the home viewing experience rather than okay. cinema. Okay, sure. Oh, in terms of sitting in the lounge or watching it with your family, then yeah, I'd give it um, I'd give it a four. But anything lower than like a forty inch TV, the score drops exponentially. Helen. Um, yeah, I'm going to say that I'm going to go for a four as well. Um, I, I think the mirror scene is amazing. Like, I just really like that. And I also um, really like the way the chase with his sister is filmed mm. from above. And I think that is really, really, really great as well. Um, and we've already talked about having the opportunity to have the communal experience. So I think it is fine watching on TV and there's a couple of bits that are really nice, but I don't think it loses anything by watching it kind of on a TV arena, but I'm not giving it the full five because I, I feel the, the shared experience would probably add to the viewing. I'm going to have 4.5 cause I want to watch it the Prince Charles now um, and watch it with other people. But yeah, I think like 90% of my viewing of this was on a 14 inch television with the video VHS combined into it into the same you remember those when it's combined into mm, the same unit yeah. yeah i had one of those and that was how i watched it uh, i remember in our bedrooms and you know it's fine then it'll do now but, um, <laughs> <laughs> i loved it um and finally engagement score how engaged were you whilst watching watching a film were you on twitter were you at second screening were you doing your tax forms were you ironing what how how involved in the, in, in the film were you if we're talking purely like engagement and not being distracted and not looking anywhere else and not fucking on my phone then um i have a rule when i watch films nowadays because i used to be going back a couple of years ago, i was terrible for it where i just i like i'd see my phone sat there and then anytime it would light up i'd hit pause and then check my phone and disrupt the film and it used to drive me nuts because it would take me three hours to it would have taken me three hours to watch a 90 minute film otherwise so I, I turn my phone off now when i watch films so i just i just don't want any kind of distractions so for me i was fully 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 engaged so five. <laughs> so it's it's a default five for you for any film, well, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's Enter the Dragon or whether it's um, some other film that I'm not going to name now because it makes it sound like it's on the bottom end of the scale. But it's <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's going to be a five for me because purely I just purely just focused on it entirely. Uh, Shope, um, I would say I give it a four point five because it's ninety minutes and you, you just lick straight through it. It doesn't ever really sag yeah there are moments that don't hold up today but i don't feel like we're dwelling on anything too long um the action of it is compelling the story is enough and i had my phone by me i was watching it on netflix party as well so i could have been messaging my friend um but i wasn't okay. uh, i've got my family in the house all shouting and screaming but i was locked in so yeah four foot five helen I was very naughty. I um, I just I just got really into reading a bit more about Bruce Lee and his life and his family and just kind of a little bit more about um, sort of cinema at that time and, you know, how he kind of changed the representation of uh, Asian males on cinema from that. So uh, and so I can't really say that I was fully engaged but whilst watching it I did um learn like a lot more about Bruce Lee so I'm sorry but I, I can't give um maximum engagement scores because I was being a bit naughty but it was I was watching um so th- 3.5 for me um yeah I'm gonna go for five um loved it like I said it's been 10 years since I watched it so I was you know excited for the scenes I'd forgotten for the scenes for some of the some of the some of the quotable lines, um, the noises, and yeah, that mirror scene. Just looking forward to watching that again because I had, it was the first time I've seen since uh, seeing John Wick chapter two, and I was just excited to see if there was any camera shots. The camera's laid in the background. For, I don't know why I was trying to kind of forensically take it apart, but um, you know, I was just excited at every single step of the of the way. And um, yeah, I think Stone Cold Five, and that gives us an overall score of four point two five six eight eight for. Enter the Dragon, um, which is high. That's pretty, pretty high, good. yeah. Yeah, high. anything over a four <laughs> is really good. Okay, um, so we reached out to our 
Twitter followers and do follow us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod because every time we record, we put a message out saying, and this, and in this case, we're recording, we're reviewing Enter the Dragon uh, with the raid director Gareth Evans and Shopper Dirisu of uh, Gangs of London. Have you seen it? Tell us your thoughts and your score out of five stars for on air shout out on FlixWatcher. Helen, do you want to take the first one that you can see on your screen? Yep. So the first one is from The Future's Overrated. The only thing that lets it down is not enough Jim Kelly. Other than that, it's pretty flawless. Five massively pointy throwing stars. I am always gutted that Jim Kelly dies in this film. Yeah. Um, I'm gutted oh, yeah. he dies when he does, but it's a great yeah. scene. Mm. He has the best line in the film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we didn't see much more of him after, after Enter Dragon, do we? He's got in Black Belt Jones and a few other things, but he doesn't, I thought... Yeah, Black Belt Jones is another Robert Klaus film, isn't it? And then he yeah. had Hot Potato... And then a few other martial arts after then, but yeah. Um, I'm going to go to Sudden Double Deep, friend of the podcast. Um, my dad taped off the telly for me when I was far too young. Same. Uh, Bruce Lee in a grown-up James Bond type movie. We talked about that. I was hooked. I was pretty much wore the tape out. And that Leila Schifrin score. Yeah, I'm going to have to look out for the score on, I'm sure, I hope it's on Spotify. Because I did, I did notice it this time for the first time. And I did see the different themes to the different characters. And I thought it was just a really cool kind of underpinning to the, to the story. Helen, do you want to say the next one? Yep, so the next one is from Movie Reviews in 20Q's podcast. While for many it's their favourite martial arts film, for me it's just one of my favourite films. Six stars, uh, not loud six stars, but we'll, we'll get that one as five stars. <laughs> and the last one is Betamax Video Club, uh, at Betamax Pod, absolute five stars, amazing action sequences and genuine tension. One of the all-time greats. So yeah, everyone's rated it pretty highly there. Lots of love there. I have to apologise sincerely to the memory of Jim Kelly. He absolutely was a martial artist, and I don't know why I said he wasn't. So um, I'm yeah. so glad you corrected that. <laughs> <laughs> My sincerest apologies. I've been fed wrong information. I'm going back to the source to correct that. Don't worry. Um, yeah, he was an amazing martial artist. I was not the source of that information. <laughs> right, yeah. Cool. Thanks for throwing me under the bus, Gareth. <laughs> Um, I do think he's one of the best, one of the best um, martial art, non, uh, Western martial artists on on screen. I wish I wish I'd seen more of him, like say in, in this film. I think he was, I think O'Hara is quite good, um, but Jim Kelly was he was the best one um, that wasn't from from the East. Chope and Gareth, um, can you tell people where to find your works? Find you online, uh, Instagram or? Yeah, I'm I'm only on Instagram. I I, I went off Twitter a while back, so I'm, I'm only on Instagram. Is who Evans <laughs> and <laughs> um, and yeah and then work wise film wise the raid films are, are out and are out and on Blu-ray DVD probably up on YouTube at somewhere as well uh, they're on Netflix they're on Netflix they are right there we go yeah. yeah and Apostle obviously was through Netflix um, yeah. God bless them for, for letting me make it and um, and then Gangs of London currently on Now TV and then also on Sky Atlantic and I am also only on Instagram. I came off Twitter last year. Uh, and that's at Shopadirisu. <laughs> not really in Twitter at all. I think it's just a mutual personal preference. Um, and yeah, Gangs of London is on Sky Atlantic and Now TV. There's a Black Mirror episode that you can see me floating around in the back of on Netflix. And uh, yeah, various different projects all over the shop. I just want to I just want to point to that I've discussed the end of that episode with many friends mm. uh multiple times and when when I saw you in uh, Gangs London I was like that's the guy from the end of, <laughs> of Nosedive um I've interviewed uh, Charlie Brooker on stage and I was so excited about season of Black Mirror mm. and um I had my wife was away that weekend I was like right I'm gonna power through all these episodes mm-hmm. and I just like I was I loved it so much but I just felt you know, you just can't watch another episode because it's so dark and it's so twisted. And it was just so it, Black Mirror just encapsulates this kind of feeling, which I, which is kind of encapsulated now with uh, COVID. But mm-hmm. I just could not go in and watch the second episode. And I think that was, that was a perfect episode end to to that nosedive because it just kept on getting worse and worse and worse. And I just kept on, <laughs> my heart was sinking. And there was that kind of release with yourself and Bryce Dallas mm-hmm. um, Howard, which is just really captures the end and. and I don't know what was what was that like for you? That you know, how people talked about that ending to you. Um, I don't think died. anyone's actually discussed the ending with me, but um, I'm always surprised by how many people recognise me from it because you're actually on screen for 40 seconds right at the end of the episode, 
Um, but it is nice to know that it's left such a lasting impact on people. No worries. Um, well, thank you very much, guys, for joining us. And please come again soon when Gangs London 2, hopefully, comes back to our screens. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Cheers. Enjoyed this episode of Flixwatcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter and we're at FlixWatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood Audio. Tell them Flixwatcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.